Have you ever literally seen someone get away with murder and you became so angry and you allowed your anger to discourage you in your walk with the Lord and you were so frustrated and yelled out, it's just not fair, life is not fair. Well, you're not alone. Have any of you seen a situation where you looked at a person who is less than honest in his or her business dealings, and yet they seemingly are very successful in everything they do, and yet you, as an honest person, honest as the daylight, somehow facing financial reversal, and then you kind of sit to yourself in anger and in frustration, honesty doesn't pay. Have you ever looked at someone who seemed to be carefree and living an immoral lifestyle, and, and yet seemingly that everything is going his way or everything is going her way, and, and you look at your life and you look at yourself and say, Lord, I'm an upright person and I'm a moral person, and yet I'm suffering and I'm suffering deeply. And you thought to yourself and, and you become angry at the unfairness of it all. Have you ever been there? Have you ever compared yourself with somebody else who maybe less intelligent than you are and less capable than you are and less hardworking than you are and, and you said to yourself, you know, this person is successful and I'm hardworking, I am intelligent, I got everything that he has and more and yet I'm not making it. I deserve this. Well, I want you to listen carefully about what I'm going to tell you because in this or any of these situations that I mentioned, or many others that I would not have time to give you examples of. If you do not deal with these feelings while there are still feelings, you're soon going to find yourself moving in the following direction. You're soon going to find yourself, first it begins with covetousness, and then covetousness, if it goes unchecked, It will turn into resentment. And then if resentment is not dealt with quickly and immediately, it will turn into hatred. That's a process. And it always works that way. If you've ever been angry at the unfairness of life, I want you to stay tuned because Psalm 37 Gives you some answers. In fact, if I summarize this psalm, it will be two words. David is telling you and is telling me, chill out. That's the title of my message. Most indications from historians tells us that this psalm was written by David. And it was written around the time of his old age. Just as about seeing his days to be over. And as he looks back and he reflects upon his life and the life that he lived and the problems that he faced and the difficulties that he experienced, and then he sees the hand of God that worked in his life through all these years, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he pins down those great words. David spent many years running away as a fugitive from wicked King Saul. And during that time, no doubt, 
David have thought at least, if it's not verbalized, many times no doubt said to the Lord, Lord, how come this wicked king who is pursuing me for no reason whatsoever can live in the luxury of the king's palace? And here I am, a man whose heart after your own, a man who was anointed to serve you in my teen years, a man who's running as a fugitive, sweating it out in the caves and in the mountains and in the heat of the day and the heat of the night. How come, Lord? Then David probably reflected on all these struggles of his life. And then he thought of those earlier years when things were really rough, and But then he reflects on how God guided his hands. And those days of struggles were limited. That those days of struggle were not forever. That those days were numbered. And then God honored him and he placed him on the throne of Israel. And God protected him and God guided him and God forgave him his most heinous sin. And as he looks back and he sees all of this, he comes and tells us, chill out. Because things are not the way they appear. In fact, in Psalm 37, David not only tells us to chill out, because really the reason I'm using that word, that kind of California word, is to kind of bring it in the vernacular, because literally the Hebrew word for fretting means don't get hot under the collar. It means... Don't sweat the apparent success of the wicked. Don't waste your time fuming and steaming over appearances that are not accurate. That's really what it means. He is, in fact, giving us four reasons why we must and we need to chill out in the face of the success of the wicked. I want to give them to you. Write them down. Chill out because of what you cannot see. Verses 1, 2, and 3 of Psalm 37. Second, he says, chill out for what you already have. In verses 4 to 7. Thirdly, he said, chill out because of what is coming to you. Verses 8 to 11. And then finally, he says, chill out because of the penalty of the wicked. Verses 12 to 20. Chill out. Because of what you don't see and what you can't see. You see, when you conclude that because someone has what you want or maybe even desperately need and don't have, and therefore this person is happy, then you are like the person who is blind And therefore, he or she concludes that the world is dark 24 hours a day. Did you hear this? I want to repeat it. When you conclude that because someone has what you don't have and you may desperately need it, therefore that person is happy, you are like the blind person who comes to conclusion that the world is dark 24 hours a day. But the truth is, when you scratch below the surface... These people whom you are envying are not as happy as you may think. (laughs) When you scratch the surface, the people of whom you are jealous, they are sad, they are lonely, and they are miserable. Fret not yourself and don't envy them. Why? The psalmist said, because 
Things are not as they appear to be. In fact, the word fret not is mentioned three times in the first half of Psalm 37. Three times. Verse 1, verse 7, and verse 8. That is the theme. That is the thing that he wants to emphasize over and over in your mind and in my mind. David looks back with hindsight. Isn't the hindsight great? <laughs> it's always 2020. It's wonderful. I am so thankful that I live beyond the year 50 in my life because I can tell you that I react differently to things now than when I did when I was 25 or 30. I lived long enough to be able to see things in hindsight, and I'm able to praise God for the things, even the things I blew in my life. But listen, I'm not going to confess to that. <laughs> the problem sometimes is that jealousy and envy of others that are directed at their success are really not of God, number one. You get the flesh and the devil conspire together and constantly telling you how happy they are and how sad you are. And you know what the devil wants to do? He wants you to come to this foolish conclusion of saying, oh, then God could not love me. Because if he loves me, why do I have this disease? If he loves me, why am I facing this financial crisis? If he loves me, why am I in this job? If he loves me, then why am I suffering the way I'm suffering? And the devil is laughing in his sleeve. But you know, the jealousy and envy are not only done by Christians toward the wicked, but sometimes jealousy and envy takes place among Christians. Is that the case? Am I right on that? There is jealousy and envy among Christians envying one another. I think there is a jealousy and envy among pastors. Now, trust me on this one. In fact, I heard about a small town where on the square of that little town, there were three churches, all in three corners. I know there are four corners, but there are three churches in three different corners of that one square in that little town. And they had a terrible time envying each other. They had a terrible time in competition with each other. And a passerby one Sunday morning was walking by, and he heard the first congregation standing up, and they were singing the song, Will There Be Any Stars in My Crown? Upon which the second congregation stood up and they began to sing, No, not one, no, not one. Upon which the third congregation began their service by singing, All that will be glory for me. (laughs) Envy and jealousy will only hurt one person. One person. And that's the person who's doing the envying. Envy and covetousness devastates one person. And that is the person who's doing the envying. Listen to me, please. Envy can destroy you emotionally. Envy can destroy you mentally. Envy can destroy you psychologically. Envy can destroy you socially. Envy can destroy you physically. So chill out because of what you cannot see. Secondly, chill out because of what you have. Look at verses 4, 5, and 6, and 7. You see, when the operation of fretting and envying begin to be set in motion, when that operation gets going, there's not only an intense, irrational thinking that takes place inside of you. Not only that 
discouragement and anger and frustration sits in. But the problem is that person who begins in that motion of fretting and envy and jealousy, something else happens. You know what it is? You become so blinded to what you already have, what you've got. I talk to people who are bright, who are intellectual, who are brilliant, but they cannot see it. They only talk about how brilliant others are. I talk to multimillionaires who talk as if they go into the poorhouse, just absolutely blinded to what they have. But that's what the irrationality of fretting does. What do you have in Christ? Even before Christ, thousand years before Christ, the psalmist written this psalm. And let me give you two blessings that you already have. Look at verse 4 of Psalm 37. He said, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now let me tell you something about that verse. (laughs) Probably it's the most quoted verse (laughs) among Christians everywhere, anywhere. And particularly they mumble the first part and they go straight and give you the desire of your heart. Have you heard that? (laughs) I mean, I have heard it quoted glibly. I've heard it quoted in all kinds of situations and circumstances without proper understanding of what that means. What does it mean to delight yourself in the Lord? Well, what does it mean to delight yourself in another person? What does it mean to delight yourself in somebody else? Let me give you an example. When you see two people in love, what are they doing? They are falling over each other trying to please the other, right? And then they get married. (laughs) Strike that last comment. (laughs) But listen, when you delight yourself in the Lord, it means that I want to do what He wants to do. It means that I want to go where He wants to go. It means that I want to do what is pleasing to Him. That are going to bring joy and delight to his heart. That's what it means to delight yourself in the Lord. So, if my desire is his desire, if my delight is his delight, if my delight is what is pleasing to him, then he will grant me the desire of my heart, which is the desire of his heart to begin with. Right? Beloved, I want to tell you something. This is a love relationship which the unbeliever can never understand. It is a love relationship with the Lord that the ungodly can never comprehend, can never know until he or she falls in love with the one who has fallen in love with you. But not only there is a blessing in delighting yourself in the Lord, something that you have is yours right now. That's what you've got. But there's a second blessing. Blessing number two, verses five and six. He said, commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your vindication as the light and your right as the noonday. You may be feeling right now that you are not getting your just reward. You may be feeling right now that you have been passed over. You might be feeling right now that you have been given a raw deal. You might be feeling right now that you are suffering injustice and unfairness. You might be feeling right now that nice guys finish last. 
You may be feeling right now that you are carrying a burden that maybe belonged to a dozen people on the back of your shoulder, and you're walking around with that huge fridge on your back. Yet you have something that those whom you perceive as having it easy do not have. Do you know what it is? Do you know what it is? It's right here in the text. That the judge of the universe is watching you. That the judge of the universe is going to make sure that you're to be openly vindicated. He's going to make sure that you're going to be publicly exonerated. He's going to make sure that you are clearly justified. He's going to make sure that you are generously rewarded. He's going to make sure that you are lavishly blessed. Now, amen belongs here. Chill out because of what you cannot see. Chill out because of what you already have. Thirdly, he says, chill out because what is coming to you. Look at verses 8 to 11. You're not only going to be vindicated, and you have God's word on that. You're not only going to be exonerated, and you have God's word on that. You're not only going to be justified, but you are going to inherit the earth. Here's what it says. Those whom you may be envying will go up in a puff of smoke. But not you. (laughs) You're going to have it all. I know it's hard. Listen, I live in, in flesh and blood. Somebody's sitting, what does he know about my problems? He's a big time preacher. I want you to listen. I know, I know, I understand how hard for all of us to take the long view of things. You know why? Because everyone around us is focusing on this life. I know how hard it is to buck the system and to swim upstream when everybody else swimming with the stream, when everybody's going along to get along. I know how hard it is for us to see beyond what is seen. I know because this life's problems often tries to consume us. Life's cares often preoccupies our own thinking. Life's desires often hampers our vision of God. Life's perplexity often grabs our attention most of the time. Life's demands are often threatened to even drown us. I know that. But listen to what David said. He's a man who's been through far worse than you and I will ever experience in ten lifetimes. Listen to what he said. He said, think about this. Everything you have or needed or wanted is really yours, but not yet. He's saying everything that you have envied others for having is really yours, but not quite yet. Everything that you wished for is yours, but not yet. As long as you remain meek, and by the way, meek does not mean weak. I'll explain this in a minute. As long as you remain meek, which means having your strength under control. That's what meek means. Having your strength under control. As long as you remain meek, says the psalmist, you're going to inherit the earth. You're going to inherit everything that belongs to Jesus. 
which is the universe. Now, here's where I get so disgusted with some preachers who are always equating meekness with weakness. A little lowly Jesus, you know, I mean, just drives me nuts. Because it does not mean, that's falsehood. Meekness does not mean weakness. Meekness, it means strength under control. You say, give me an example. I'll give you an example. Moses was described in the Bible as the meekest man on the face of the earth. <laughs> Yet Moses stood up to Pharaoh and he pointed his finger and said, Mr. Pharaoh, you repent and turn to the Lord and let the people go. He was not weak, but he was meek. Hear me right. Meekness makes you bow before God, but it makes you stand tall before men. Meekness makes you bend your knee before God, but you stand firm before men. Meekness makes you trust God even when you are surrounded by untrustworthy people. Chill out because of what you can't see. Chill out because of what you have. Chill out because of what's coming to you. Fourthly, David tells us, chill out because of the penalty of the wicked. You know, one of the saddest day in the church of Jesus Christ is when so many people began to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and the grace of God and deliberately left out the justice of God. You see, that's a tension. You get the grouchy people talking about justice of God all the time, and they ignore the love and the mercy of God, and then you get all the sentimentals talking about the love of God and the mercy of God and ignore the justice of God. Beloved, the truth is both. God, two sides of His personality, love and mercy and justice, and they both go together. They cannot be separated. And here's where David focuses on that side of God's character, his justice. And he says that if you see what God sees, you would not waste a minute of your life fretting, fuming, and steaming over the apparent success of the wicked. If you can see what God sees, like God, you would laugh. This, by the way, is the laugh of scorn. You would laugh at your own silly waste of energy over the situation. You would laugh over the foolishness of the wicked. You would laugh over the cruel joke that Satan plays both on them and you. I want to illustrate that. Have you ever overreacted at some information that was given to you? And only a few days later you discover that the information you got was totally false. Let me ask you, how do you feel about that? (laughs) I've been there. (laughs) I've been there. In fact, that's what David is saying here. He's saying that's exactly what happens when you envy the ungodly. That's exactly what happens when you are envy the wicked. You have the wrong information And you have overreacted to the wrong information. How do you feel now? (laughs) In fact, instead of envying them, you know what we should be doing? We should be weeping over them. Say, wait a minute, wait a minute, Michael. You mean these people who have done me harm? When you get the right information, you would be weeping over them. 
when you know the truth about judgment, you would weep over them. Somebody said, why would you weep? I say, because of the dreadful end. Because of their coming judgment. Because of their coming suffering. Someone wrote these words many years ago. He said, more tears are shed in our theaters over our imaginary tragedy than in our churches over real ones. It was Winston Churchill who once said, men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing happened. Several years ago, I saw a cartoon that depicted a frustrated father who was changing the tire in the rain and the two kids peering from the window of the car, obviously grumbling and complaining. (laughs) In response to their complaint, here he is out in the rain changing the tire. They're inside, but they were complaining. Here's what the father says in the last caption. He said, don't you understand? This is life. This is what's happening. We cannot switch to another channel. (laughs) Beloved friends, that's where we are today. We live in a time where we have totally confused reality with fiction. Now, some people really do not even know the difference. What do you think is real and permanent? God scoffs at. Why? Because God sees and knows what is seen is not real. God knows that the end of the wicked is judgment. God knows that the end of the wicked is paying for their wickedness. You see, that's why he sent Jesus. So even the most wicked person can turn to him and be saved. And without Jesus... They will die in their wickedness, and they'll spend eternity in torment. God knows the end of the wicked is eternity in regret. So let me tell you this. If God can laugh at the wicked, surely, at least, you and I should be able to chill out of being agitated by them and being jealous of them and being envious of the lifestyle. Chill out. God loves you. And if you have never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you have never understood what it means to be in love with God and God is in love with you and that you can delight yourself in Him and He can give you the desires of your heart today, you can do that. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.